Steve Cuff, and joining me as always, Adam Myros. Howdy. Sean Glittis. Howdy. And Stephen Coleman. Is your love. Is my love. <laughs> I, lo- I love that, that beer you're pushing too, man. Bought some uh, Doom Tree, got drunk at the bar, went to Whole Foods, bought some Surly Beer. You got a whole section at Whole Foods. Well, it's about damn time. You and your jive hipster ale. Uh <laughs> Anyways, we're going to jump right into things because uh, Steve's actually got to go, I don't know, stir the barley or whatever he does at the brewery. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> barley stir, I believe that's what it says on his resume. Uh, so today we were trying to you know, think of something to talk about and the topic of kind of like critically maligned movies that we love came up and Sean mentioned the movie Clifford which I used to enjoy when I was probably like 10 years old, and I hadn't seen it in probably 15 years at least. Uh, so, yeah, we all sat down and watched Clifford, some of us for the first time in, in a very long time. So before I get into my opinion, I feel like I'm going to be the neutral party here, and I have kind of an idea where Sean and Myros lie on the, uh, the spectrum. Sean, why Clifford, and what, uh, what are your thoughts on it? Basically, uh, why Clifford is a good question. Um, <clears throat> first of all, um, my brother sent me a text last week, a week or two ago, that that said I I constantly feel like Charles Grodin to my kids. Um, in Clifford, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was like, oh yeah, I, that was kind of a staple of our childhood, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I knew that Coleman liked it, so I, I uh, pushed it his way and uh, said we should talk about it, and he was totally on board because mm-hmm. uh, I think we both feel that um, it's, a, it's a gem. And I've always felt, uh, even, I guess, in many years past, like why aren't people talking about this movie more? Or I don't even know how we found it, but basically uh, I think it's it epitomizes uh, for me um, – the culturally maligned movie, you know, it sits at 9% comfortably and Rotten Tomatoes. Quite comfortably. Um, <laughs> and I really don't understand why. Um, so, yeah, I, I won't get too deep into it right now, but I, I think it's incredibly funny. I laughed out loud still many times. Mm-hmm. All right, well, to anyone who's listening who hasn't seen Clifford or, you know, hasn't seen Clifford in 20 years, um, the basic premise is... Uh, a very adult Martin Short, I believe he was like 40 when they filmed this movie, right. plays a 10-year-old. Uh, <laughs> and, and, well, simultaneously, he actually plays like an old version of himself in like the year 2050 where he's like 90 years old and that's sort of the narrator. And then the story that he's narrating is about when he was a 10-year-old boy, but, you know, it's just 40-year-old Martin Short dressed like a small <laughs> child. He's actually kind of dressed like the guitar player from ACDC. Um, <laughs> and so Charles Grodin is in the movie, and he's trying to impress his fiance, 
and prove that he doesn't hate children, even though it's quite apparent that he does hate children. So he decides to, you know, let his nephew Clifford, who he hasn't seen in a very long time, uh, spend the weekend with him so he can prove that he could be a great father. Uh, and of course, Clifford is a dickhead and <laughs> hilarity ensues. <laughs> is that, is that a fair synopsis? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Charles Grodin, it should be mentioned, has to be one of the foremost architects in the city of angels. He is. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> That's a big part of this movie. Is Charles Grodin is like the uh, the Frank Lloyd Wright of uh, early 1990s Los Angeles. He has the assignment of uh, redesigning, uh, uh, scratching what he's what he's done for probably over months, and and uh, redesigning the mass transit system of LA. Which I've never been there, but I've always heard that there is no mass transit system. Yeah, um, which I guess is probably a joke in and of itself. So, haha, yeah. Clifford. But yeah, he has to do it as if it's like writing a term paper, you know, weekly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, they're like, yeah, just cram. You yeah, I know you can do it. The whole model in two days. <laughs> but but it makes sense because his boss is making him do it because he wants to make moves on Mary Steenburgen, uh, his fiance. Yeah. Wants to bang the fiance. Uh now, Steve, you're probably the biggest supporter of of Clifford. So could you? Maybe just kind of dive into that for us and, and tell me why you love Clifford. Uh, aside from the obvious, like, nostalgic value, like, why does Clifford still hold up for you? Well, I think, uh, you know, I'm a, personally, I'm just a very big Martin Short fan. Uh, but I feel that there's something so bizarre about the fact that this movie even exists. Mm-hmm. And that we have a 40-year-old playing a 10-year-old, but he does it wonderfully. He does it flawlessly. Yeah. Like, I... It's very easy to suspend your belief in the fact yeah. that you're watching a ten-year-old dickhead, um, and I think that everybody else plays it straight. It's just so well acted. Like there's no um, indication that there there's anything ridiculous about this. It, sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, and that's that's a good point too because when I was watching it again, I thought back to another movie and I was like, I think this was from roughly the same era, and uh, that's of course another. Uh, Saturday afternoon on the USA channel when I'm 12 movie, uh, Problem Child, which is more or less the same movie except with uh, John Ritter as Charles Grodin and some little redheaded 10-year-old shit as the redheaded 10-year-old shit. So, But it's basically that movie, but then you just go, instead of casting a child, why not Martin Short, you know? Why not a comedy genius uh, <laughs> who people didn't know it but was at the height of his... Uh... Um, skills. I think like it's like a physical comedy opus. Like, uh, I mean, I could talk all day about the f- the, the um, facial expressions that he does throughout. That I I just think are like it's just a home run. But like even the way he sits cross-legged on mm-hmm. the bed is like absolutely hysterical to me. No, I I would have to agree. Now I I don't love Clifford, but uh, my favorite Nobody part. Loves him. <laughs> That's true. That's a big part of the movie. Uh, my favorite parts of the movie Clifford are just like the, the kind of physical presence that Martin Short has. So there's this one great scene kind of, I don't know, it's kind of towards the end, maybe two-thirds of the way through. But basically, Charles Grodin is losing his shit, and he's like, can you just act like a normal human? Like, can you just look like a human? And Martin Short is just making these bizarre faces that I could never mimic in my entire life. It's, just, it's hilarious. 
Yeah, I I'm not a huge fan, but that that's definitely the best scene in the film for me. It's, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just he's like, look at me like a human, and Martin Short is just kind of all over the place. It's quite hilarious. Yeah, that that moment, like, so basically, um, halfway through the movie, um, like, um, Broden and Short's characters like sort of um go into a full fledged like civil warfare and uh Groden has to spend the night in prison and or jail and um he when he comes back from that it it uh certainly like um it gets turned up on the dial and there's just a lot of really great stuff like right away like uh mm-hmm. when uh, he dumps his face in the bowl of cereal. <laughs> that boy in his cereal. Martin Short just like picks his face up and just is like has this demented smile with like milk all over it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but uh, going back to what uh, Coleman said about um, the fact that this even exists, uh, I didn't know it until I watched it this time. But um, and just reading the Wikipedia page that uh, the film was supposed to come out in 1991, but apparently with they were so hesitant to to put it out that it, it didn't come out until 1994. I think yeah, it was because uh, it was produced by Orion and Orion went bankrupt. And, oh, uh, right. Like okay. that, and like I think three other films that were part of like the budget cuts that was like in limbo for like that three year period. Mm-hmm. Um, Surely because they weren't very um, confident in it. Well, right. yeah, it's it's kind of a tough sell, honestly. Um, Myros. I know <laughs> you you are not not a big Clifford guy. What what don't you like about Clifford? I mean, clearly it there's there's a lot not to like if you look at the the, the critical response. Well, I I mean, there's it's an interesting film that's for certain, and there's a a lot to parse through. It's just there's a lot of uh, stuff that confuses me about it, but there. I guess my main reason for disliking it's probably that I don't have any sort of nostalgic attachment to it. I I didn't see it. I actually think you're the one, uh, Steve Cuff uh, is the one who, who put me onto the film uh, at some point. Like <laughs> huh. like when we were in college, she was like, oh, this film's quite funny. And I, I that was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I was like, okay, this is like a kid's movie and uh, I'm not really digging it. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, if you. I think if, I also told you to watch The Pest, starring John Leguizamo. Uh well, this is this is substantially. This, this is indeed substantially better than The Pest, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I. It's weird that Groden is in like full-on Beethoven mode. Like the movie is. <laughs> the movie is kind of Beethoven with uh, Martin Short instead of a Saint Bernard. <laughs> it basically is. Except I don't I don't know how much I how much of it is really a kids movie like I mean I know I have a nostalgic attachment to it but it's kind of that's that's what I like there's no real audience for this movie except for me jackasses like me yeah and (laughs) and like I I tried to watch this objectively I know that's not exactly like possible but um. I would try to argue that my enjoyment doesn't come from nostalgia. Um, I I still like thought it was really funny, like mm-hmm. uh, just like uh, so. Richard Kind plays his dad, and he pawns him off on on Richard Groden, and just that moment where in the airport where uh, it shows him lying on the couch with a banner that says "I love you, Uncle Martin." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I 
I knew that that scene existed, but uh, it like still like gave me whiplash, and I was laughing my head off. Well, I still, um, I always go back to the scene where he first reveals, where Charles Grodin reveals he can't take him to Dinosaur World, and he almost gets them into a car accident, and all of a sudden he just starts asking for chocolate. And <laughs> incredible scene in the movie where there's just like Charles Groton runs into this gas station to try and buy some chocolate. <laughs> the gas station attendant doesn't have any chocolate. Like, how the fuck does that even happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, there, and there's lots of like weird little things that I, I don't know, they're, they're like half-baked jokes, but then because they're half-baked when you think about them, that almost makes them funnier. Uh, the chocolate thing's a, a good example. And well, then the, the other thing I was going back to as well was, uh, so... When they're at the airport, Clifford steals someone's dog and pretends that it's his. And then at some point in the movie, the dog just fucking disappears. Like, the dog's just gone and he without does, explanation. He, uh, he run, the dog runs away. Oh, it, it just ran, Okay, it runs away. Okay. Wait, yeah. yeah. Breaks through the fence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also really... Uh, there's, Charles Grodin, I think, is definitely an unsung hero in the movie, other than just kind of having his sort of stereotypical... Not stereotypical, but like his typical rage that he usually has, like in any movie he's been in in the 90s. But there's this same scene in the gas station where Clifford, like, buys this kid's, like, dinosaur costume to go to Dinosaur World. Mm-hmm. Uh, he come like, Charles Grodin confronts Clifford and, like, the mother of this child who is apparently missing at this point before he reveals himself to be wearing Clifford's suit, she hits Charles Grodin in the ear, and his reaction is so, like, bizarre and delayed that she whacks him in the in the head with his purse. He's just like, oh, uh, my ear! You, you, you hit my ear! <laughs> well, that, that scene, actually, I think that has my uh, my second favorite joke in the entire movie, aside from the weird Martin Short faces. And that's when the, the mom goes, where's my son? And Charles Grodin said, he's probably counting his money in the bathroom. Because Clifford paid him for the dinosaur suit, but it sounds like you know, Charles Grodin was fucking him in the bathroom. Yeah, she says, you pervert, and she hits him in the ear. And I just, I've never seen a reaction like that. And I, I don't know if it was, like, improvised, but it's just, like, that has always stuck with me, the way he reacts to getting hit in the ear. Yeah. Is it strange to anyone else that uh, Grodin and Steve Martin essentially became like the same person in the 1990s? Yeah, they basically did. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> I, I I like Charles Grodin a lot. I, again, I, I think most of my problems with the film are just tonal. Like it's just kind of doesn't know what it wants to be. Like it has the, mm-hmm. the sort of like Princess Bride-esque opening. Uh, with uh, Ben Savage in place of Fred Savage, but uh, <laughs> and at times it's really reminiscent of like a Danny DeVito Helms like black comedy, but it's and then it's got the but it's got this like lilting score from a children's mm-hmm. movie. The whole thing's like boom 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 boom. It's like yeah, yeah. And isn't part of it like the song he plays on the recorder? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's part of it too. <laughs> yeah, it's just I think that's definitely where this movie kind of falls short. <laughs> is where it just it can't commit to not just being a kids movie, uh which I guess considering when it was filmed in like 90, 91 and the kind of development hell that it went through, I'm guessing the studio that eventually picked it up and put it out Probably they figured their best way to make money was to push it as a kids movie. But I could see this being like recut and you add a few scenes 
change the ending, change, like, you know, just get rid of all the, the priest shit, and you have a very dark, strange, funny movie. Yeah, it's it's like it doesn't have a creative mind like directing like steering the ship, you know. It's the guy who directed it's basically done next to nothing. I mean, he was responsible for Martin Short's uh, triumphant primetime glick. But uh yeah, he's if it had like a Danny DeVito of that era like helming it, we get a War of the Roses type tone. It could have been like a cult classic, but... Well, it's interesting uh, that nice. the uh, director, because it's uh, Paul Flaherty, who's Joe Flaherty's brother, uh, and they used to do a lot of work on uh, Second City TV or SCTV, so that's sort of like where Martin oh, Short's okay. start begin, or career begins. I kind of like the, the limbo that it's in. Um, I, I think it lives there somewhat comfortably for me, um, and it kind of adds to the to the weird weird nature of it, and the fact that, I, I don't know, I guess it could be called kind of a kid's movie is, is so weird um, because you have, like, this this kid with some sort of mild autism um, who's, like, has the strangest strangest relationship with his caretakers. Like, he he's mentally, like, impervious to their punishments. Mm-hmm. Like, the only thing that they can, like, possibly leverage against him is Dinosaur World. And the... the the film's so odd because, like, there's this tacit agreement between Clifford and, like, his parents and uncle um, that, like, real affection is both, like, unnecessary and unattainable for their relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just such a weird dynamic. Like, he, he you know, there isn't this, this real, like, paternal relationship that he even wants. All he wants to do is go to Dinosaur World, and if you don't give that to him, he's going to absolutely torment you. Yeah, well, and that's a good point too because I think where the where the film really falls short for me, aside from the the lack of like clear direction, is I, I started to sympathize with Groden pretty badly, and Clifford, like, <laughs> character Clifford, was just like making me anxious as I was watching the movie. The titular Clifford. The, t- the titular Clifford. Oh, well, also, I- it should be noted that um, when we were <laughs> when I I told Amanda, my my girlfriend, that uh. We we're going to be watching Clifford because I need to watch it for the podcast. So I, I put it on. We started watching it, and then about five minutes in, she's like, "So where's the dog?" <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, Clifford's dog. He stole it from the airport." She's like, "I thought it was big and red." I'm like, "No, no, wrong Clifford. This is a- <laughs> yeah. It's sort of ungoogleable, <laughs> basically." Once again, bringing it right back to Beethoven. Maybe Beethoven should have just been called Clifford. <laughs> <laughs> the Clifford reboot. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It, um, I guess for me the main thing is like I, I mean you, I think like Steve said he couldn't sympathize with Clifford I don't think you're supposed to on any level no. he's basically the antagonist of the film which I do appreciate that they I mean Dabney Coleman a little but for the most part they like avoided the artifice uh, of just installing like a stock bad guy mm-hmm. which a lot of those kids movies of that era are very guilty of much like Beethoven where there's like a sinister veterinarian who's just <laughs> Out to kill all the cute dogs in the world, and <laughs> there's no like forced driving plot action, but that almost goes against the movie in the third act, like where it's just like Groden goes insane and feeds him to an animatronic dinosaur, but but that at the end he's like marrying Mary Steenbridgen, even though they've never had any reconciliation at all. <laughs> no, exactly, <laughs> and, and that's that's the thing that I I can't get over is. You know, every, everything in this movie leads up to, like, the dinosaur thing, and then there's that really, like, somber moment where Groden decides, okay, I can't actually kill him. Sorry, I'm spoiling <laughs> Clifford for you if you're listening. 
Um, but no, Clifford does not get eaten by an animatronic dinosaur. Uh, Groden saves him, and then Groden's like, well, come on. And then Clifford's like, I don't know. And Groden's like, well, fuck it, you know? You don't have to come with me. And then it basically just fades to, like, Groden's wedding after that. <laughs> like, you know, old Clifford. It goes back to old wrinkly Clifford talking to uh, fucking oh, one yeah. of the savages. I totally forgot when I was watching this that um, it took it takes place in the future. Mm-hmm. In the year 2050. 2050. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, even as a kid, um, watching this quite a bit, uh, I always kind of knew, I always felt that the end um, sort of jumped the shark uh, heavily mm-hmm. uh, and kind of stopped watching it to a point or, or at least like stopped paying attention as the VCR kept turning. But um, it has like this dark turn that's kind of similar to like Cable Guy. Um, yeah, so I think that's a good comparison. Guys is much more like warranted and balanced. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I still don't feel that comfortable with the end of Clifford, but everything leading up to that, I think is great. Um, sure. Sure. Well, and I think cable guy, I mean, if, if you haven't seen Clifford, you might want to watch it just because it's, it's weird. It's worth seeing just to see it, whether or not you like it, I guess. Uh, but I think the cable guy is a really good example of Clifford, Maybe done a little bit better, although sure. it doesn't have the added creepiness of a forty-year-old man playing a child. But you sure. know, <laughs> well, Jim Carrey's kind of got a man-child thing going about him. But uh, yeah, I—I I mean, when we were talking about this and we were suggesting other movies to go through that you had a, a kind of a similar experience with, as far as critically loathed films, and the first thing that came to mind for me was, in fact, Cable Guy. Like. That that's a brilliant damn movie. That's one of the very best comedies of the 1990s. And mm-hmm. when it came out, it was like, oh, Jim Carrey's career is over because of this movie. And it's like, you know, how much better is that movie than than uh, the likes of Ace Ventura? Or, yeah. It's just it's night and day. It's it's mm-hmm. it, it it holds up extremely. It does. Well. It holds up really well, which you can't really say about. Basically everything Jim Carrey did in the 90s. He's got a real Adam Sandler thing going for him where it's just like, yeah, I liked Ace Ventura when I was a kid, and now you flip it on and you're like, oh, God, what? Oh, no. But uh, Before we derail, uh, we didn't mention Stefan at all. Oh, yeah, Stefan the toy dinosaur. That Clifford talks to and blames for all of his misdeeds. <laughs> He's keep, kudos on for in the shower. getting a uh, nose. What, what was that? Yeah, say that again, Steve. Kudos to Richard Kind for letting uh, Martin Short shove it up his nose. Yeah, that was the that was the uh, still that I sent my brother back after he texted me, saying that he felt like Charles Grodin. <laughs> Does anyone like want to watch a Martin Shortless version of this film where Richard Kind no. and Charles Grodin just like uh, pal around town being assholes? Cause <laughs> no, you know what I want to watch. Okay, so so Clifford is like, um, despite its. Uh, like if it were to come out in 1991, um, as it was uh, originally planned, it it sits like right with um, three movies of of Martin Shorts that it grew up on, and that's uh, Three Fugitives um, in 1989, Pure Luck, which was like 1990 or 91, and then Clifford, um, all of which are are panned and forgotten. They're in the trash bin culturally. Yeah. Well, I always think of uh, think back to Captain Ron. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, when did that one come out? I think that was, was that 92. around the same time. Oh, yeah, ninety-two. 
Well, I, yeah, I didn't grow up on that one, but these three I definitely did, and I always thought, like, Three Fugitives has its shortcomings, surely, and I haven't seen Pure Luck in a while, but I always thought they were absolutely hysterical, and, and they were just movies that nobody ever talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'll write something about all three. Well, well people people yeah. always go back to Three Amigos, which I don't think is really no. aged particularly well. And that's that's a different, that's more of like a Mel Brooks piece. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead, Steve, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Oh no, that's all right. I uh, was just gonna say, Three Fugitives takes a really dark turn, by the way. Yeah, and it's the really cheat. It's really cheesy, if I remember right. And uh, Three Amigos, though, I gotta hand it to the El Guapo, though. <laughs> There's sure. one thing I love about that film is just when he gets a sweater for a birthday gift, and he's like so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, didn't you didn't you watch Pure Lock recently? I yeah, I did just like two weeks ago. It's on HBO Go right now. Um and I realized I had never actually seen the whole thing. And tell people what it's about. Well, there is uh this major CEO of this major corporation, his daughter goes missing in Mexico. She's captured actually in Mexico for held for ransom. Um but they don't know where the gentleman who's holding her is, so she is accident prone, and there's a Harry Shear plays this scientist who works for the corporation, and he comes up with this theory that to find her, they need another accident prone person to find her. It'll naturally lead them to where she's located. So Martin Short plays the accident prone employee who's just like a very low level employee investigating the case. I believe it's Mexico. And uh, I think they're in Acapulco, and uh, they go to try and find her, and they find her eventually. <laughs> Spoiler, Spoiler. Uh, but hilarious. It's a crap-filled, crap-filled uh, um, throughout the throughout the experience. If you want to see Martin Short in a fat suit, but he's not Jiminy Glick, this is the film. Well, and and hey, I uh, you know I saw a commercial for HBO Go and was just like, yeah, watch the new season of Game of Thrones, and pure luck. Oh yeah. <laughs> what if they were using that to sell? Let's go now or go. So, how many horses died during the uh, filming of Pure Luck? I, I get it. That's it. <laughs> I don't know, but there are certainly some children burned at the stake. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's got a really dark ending. Anyway, yeah, uh, I was going to say uh, before we leave, Clifford. Um, what do you do? You, what did you guys think of the pranks, like the uh, the lipstick, the tomato juice, like the, the bomb threat? The bomb I like thing. the tomato juice thing because it it creates a scenario where Charles Grodin chugs a glass of Tabasco sauce, <laughs> doesn't know that he's immediately drinking Tabasco sauce, and then simply can't speak. And I don't think any of those things would happen. <laughs> yeah, there's two central flaws to that to that prank uh, that makes it the worst one. Um, that is. One that you mentioned that he's chugging it, whether it was a Bloody Mary or not, you just don't chug it. Um, and two, he's drinking a Bloody Mary at a dinner party. Yeah, I know. That's that's <laughs> where, when he walks in, they're like Bloody Mary. Like that's that's his like 7 p.m. drink is a bloody fucking Mary. <laughs> they could have done like a prop change too. I don't know if they got paid by the good folks at Tabasco, but that's, that's really <laughs> <laughs> not that hot of hot sauce. No, well, I think those were the two key sponsors. <laughs> Clifford would be uh, Tabasco and Pepsi. There's like a Pepsi can in every other shot in Clifford. Uh, 7-Eleven, too. Ah, 7-Eleven as well. 
I like how how turned off his future father-in-law is, though, that he's wearing lipstick. <laughs> it's so pissed off. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I I kind of think that one works. The, I mean, both the other two actually work quite well. I, I as much as I'm not like a huge fan of the movie, I got a good laugh out of the answering machine bomb threat because oh, it's yeah. so ridiculous. And I also got a good laugh out of the way everyone inappropriately reacted to him like dabbing lipstick on his face. Everyone was just like, oh! Or they're like, hey, looking good. <laughs> the thing I like about the bomb threat one is that, like, you know, it has this, this nuance to it where, like, he ends up in the, being interrogated and they're like, you know, he's like, I see what you're doing, grilling me under these hot lights. And then they turn it down and he's like, well, now I can't see anything. And uh, so they turn it, turn it up and he's like, well, it's not about lighting. Let's not make it about lighting. But like, that's a sort of a thing throughout, you know, where there's like these sort of weird, like, um, detailed jokes that are going on, like in the background sometimes with Clifford that are just, you, you can tell that, that somebody, like, even though it wasn't like some visionary auteur that was working, like, mm-hmm. there was some sort of like, uh, attention to detail. Sure, sure. Well, and speaking of the visionary auteurs behind the writing, um, I was looking them up on IMDb. It's written by two guys, and uh, when you click the names of the two gentlemen of the writing credits, they've literally done nothing. They they just they made Clifford and then like. The spec- speculation though is that uh, J D Rock, I believe, mm-hmm. may have been Martin Short or may have been some SETV guys. Hmm. Oh, okay, so it's just like maybe it was maybe like, it's those two men from Two Men in a Truck. Mm. Well, well plus, I, I, doesn't it feel like, I mean, this is the sort of movie that's got to be, like, Apatow-level improv. I feel like Roden and Short were just kind of, like, letting yeah. it all hang out at every scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and because the movie was critically panned and it was in development hell for so long, it's also entirely possible, like you guys said, there's pseudonyms. Sort of like in Sean's favorite movie, Dune, where, uh, you know, David Lynch uh, took his, his name off of uh, several cuts of the movie. So, right, Sean? Do not bring that up. Oh, we need to reference Dune in every version of uh, the podcast. Right here. That's, that's my goal. That's my goal. It's, it's the new Tears for Fears. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually the first Optimism Vaccine t-shirt. It's just going to say Dune is the new Tears for Fears. Nothing else, no context. Black shirt, white Helvetica font. Like, uh, I actually really like that. <laughs> I really like that a lot. <laughs> For Myros, uh, especially and and Steve, uh, like, w- was was it like not pleasurable watching this movie, or was it just kind of like uh, this is lame? No, I mean, it was, it was interesting. Like, I I didn't I didn't love it, but it's it's so weird. And I guess it was just, yeah, it was it was compelling to watch at times. And some of the jokes were legitimately funny. It's just Clifford, the character, like, it just made me anxious. He made me super anxious. I felt like I was going to go Groden on my television a few times, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's it's very similar to my response. It's, I mean, there are times where it's just like you get in that mode when you're watching, like, a kid's movie. And, I mean, this doesn't really fit that mode uh, mold, but... You know, you still like slot into this certain thing where I was like half paying attention at times. I'm doing something else, and it's just like every time the score would pop up, I would just kind of zone out a little bit, and I'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> but why am I watching this small children's movie?" But then it would say, you know, he's grown would start calling Clifford Hitler, and I, and I, my, my ears would perk up. <laughs> 
Yeah, but but it's very anxiety inducing. It's that's, it's okay. it's almost cringe comedy movie. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. interesting to hear because I I uh, genuinely don't know like I I always like would recommend this to people, but but I'm like in the back of my mind I can't like objectively think about it um, as someone who didn't grow up loving it, and plus like I know how panned it is. So, but mm-hmm. but I really just don't see that. I can't. I don't know that experience of it. Sure, uh, sure. It's, it's it's a it's a weird, bizarre feeling. But if nothing else, like if you, for for listeners that are like, what is this movie? I might want to check it out. Um, if nothing else, it's weird. And if you like, like yeah. weird, weird little pockets of pop culture that you don't know about, this is a a good example. It fits it, the bill. Can I just do a quick plug for the DVD art, by the way? Sure. <laughs> yeah. I actually I do remember anxiously waiting for it to come out on DVD in 2004 and going, <laughs> and it was a budget price DVD. Like not so, a Criterion release though, yeah. right? No, okay. not yet. We're kickstarting. Right. It was still like uh, like Suncoast were still in malls at this point, <laughs> and it was on sale for like 7.99 the day it came out. And the cover is just like a stock image of a suburban house on fire in the background. What? And the front is like it's like Mary Steenburgen and Charles Grodin in like their like dinner party attire. And like Charles Grodin's just kind of like got this blank stare on his face. He's waving, and there's Clifford in the middle. And it's like a there's a box quote for from Entertainment Week today. I don't even know what entertainment today is. <laughs> a marvelous, a marvelous <laughs> wacky black comedy. I think that kind of describes Clifford pretty well. I, I, that's fair. One quick question about the DVD: um, is is it an actual plastic case or is it the cardboard snap case? Because Clifford on DVD strikes me as a cardboard snap case. That was it, only. Uh, it's a real, real case. It's real a, deal. I mean, it was only WB that did the snap case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure it has no insert, right? No insert. No, no insert. No. <laughs> okay. It's uh, standard uh, quality, too. <laughs> director commentary. But it does so, come with that theatrical trailer. It's wow, got that, like, great. recycled plastic logo when you pull out the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I I was watching uh, one quick thing. Uh, uh, I was watching half of this, like, uh, at home and just, like, laughing in the comfort of my my room, and then I was watching more of it when I was stuck at Discount Tire getting four new tires um, unexpectedly, and <laughs> I was—I cr- found myself accidentally cracking up really loudly with my headphones in. Can you imagine, like, if I didn't know you, and I was just in there to get, like, a fucking oil change or something, <laughs> and I look over at the guy next to me, and he's watching Clifford on his phone and cracking up? I don't know. It's my computer. Oh, your computer, that's even better. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hey, uh, this yeah. ain't no coffee shop, Mac. Take your computer <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> I, I think, you know, another thing, too, if you're interested in Clifford, but, you know, you don't you don't know if you want to commit to watching it necessarily or you want to learn a little bit more about it, uh, read, like, the last paragraph at least of Roger Ebert's review because I think it's perfect because Ebert gives it a half star which is pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. And he basically says that, like, this, it, like, it, it doesn't feel like the movie was made by human beings. Like, it feels like it was made by aliens. And it's, it's, like, unfunny in a way that he's never experienced before. And he hopes to never experience it in a movie ever again. <laughs> <laughs> 
Clifford is really saying something, because even if you don't like Clifford, at the very least, it's interesting. It's something. It different. is. And if you grew, if you didn't grow up with nostalgia for uh, Clifford, you you may have uh, grown up with nostalgia for Beethoven. So you can uh, just mm-hmm. uh, draw an interesting parallel between the two. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, never... Clifford doesn't have a character named Rice. <laughs> That's true. I, 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 I had never thought of that parallel. I'm, I'm really happy about that. Um, oh, I forgot. That's, that's how I would pitch it. I'd be like, it's like Problem Child meets Beethoven. I love the part where, uh, along alongside when when um, he has that banner made for Groden that says, "I love you, Uncle Martin," and he wakes him up and he goes, "Don't reject me." <laughs> oh God. <laughs> All right. Well, Check so it out. yeah, it's 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 worth worth watching once. I would say. I, uh, I would agree. Steve, do you got to leave us soon? Uh, maybe. What are we talking about next? Uh, we were gonna go quick into just you know other critically maligned movies that we happen to enjoy. Okay. So I I don't I don't know what time you gotta go. Uh, stir. I want to talk about Death to Smoochie. Get it out of the way. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, you were talking oh. about Death to Smoochie. Earlier. I was actually thinking about talking about UHF, but hey, that's that's fine. Either either or. I feel like that's it's a little bit of a cult classic now, but uh, it definitely is a very critically maligned film. I think even Roger Ebert was famous for saying that Weird Al Yankovic was the Antichrist. <laughs> film came out. God, I I appear. I, I officially don't want to hear Roger Ebert's opinion on any comedy ever. Thanks to this podcast. <laughs> what about Blue Velvet? Oh God, in heaven! Or or any number of horror films, which I'm an aficionado of the genre. I believe you called like Silent Night, Deadly Night, some sort of affront to humanity, even though it's like the most like paint by numbers slasher of all time. Anyhow, I digress. Yeah. Go ahead, Steve. Oh, well, uh, I don't know. If anybody out there hasn't seen UHF, I actually, I mean, I would argue that even if um, you're somebody who wouldn't like Clifford, you would probably still like UHF. I mean, it's um, sort of a gag-per-minute type premise, but it actually really works, and I actually think that the story is very good. Um, like, there's not, like, any sort of, like, wasted space. Um, I think Word Al Yankovic is very good in it. Uh, I actually think it's very well directed, um, and it was directed by Jay Levy, who I don't believe has done anything else, and he's actually only known for being um, Weird Al Yankovic's manager. Oh, so he's he's not uh, Eugene's brother or anything? No, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the only thing that's kind of like sad about it nowadays is that uh, Victoria Jackson is in it, and um, if you've Googled Victoria Jackson recently... Um, you'll probably be you, you'll mourn the loss of what she once was. <laughs> oh, um, she's a like a big time Tea Party supporter. Like, what? Yeah, like look. And Victoria Jackson also was uh, on Saturday Night Live for a few years during like the Phil Hartman years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was just kind of known as being just sort of like a kind of funny but very like squeaky voiced comedian. Yeah. Uh, she's, uh, yeah, like, hyper tea party lady now. She's one of those, like, SNL cast members who does best to just deliver, like, one line. Yeah, yeah. In well, reaction I, to John Lovitz. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but maybe maybe this is just, like, a really, like, deep, subversive comedy dive that she's taking. Because, I mean, 
as someone who is, you know, friends with a few people from high school and a few family members, which I have not hidden on my Facebook newsfeed, um, you know, every once in a while when you're having a bad day and you're scrolling through the newsfeed and, you know, they say that, uh, the Aurora shooter was influenced by MK Ultra, then, you know, that's, that's something. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a tea, a tea party person to crack you up. Or like that um that woman, that tea party woman on Twitter that I got into a spat with after I live-tweeted uh, Left Behind. She's one of my favorite people on Twitter because she's <laughs> unintentionally hilarious. Which, uh, yeah, if, if you don't know, uh, there's this woman. She's got, like, this horrific facelift and this, like, bleach blonde hair, and she just, like, tweets in all caps uh, about various Tea Party things, and I thought it was like a weird Twitter account or a joke, but she's 100% real, and she's the light of my life. The light of your life. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so yeah, Victoria Jackson is insane. Um, UHF, what what exactly is it about? I'm, I, I, I mean, a TV channel, presumably? Yeah, well, yeah, Weird Al Yankovic plays the character uh, George Newman and he's just this guy who can't stop daydreaming. Uh, this, the movie opens with uh, him imagining himself as Indiana Jones. Uh, it segues into him just being a fry cook. point, <laughs> Gets fired and he can never hold down a job and uh, his uncle wins a UHF station and during a, like a game of poker mm-hmm. and uh, they need somebody to run it and they just hire him to do it. And he, it's a run-down station that just plays reruns most of the time, and it's a UHF station, which is a very dated premise. I think it was even a dated premise in 1989 when this came out. Um, sure, sure. But basically, for those who don't know, like UHF is basically a difference between like AM and FM radio, which is also becoming a very dated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so UHF is when you don't have cable because you're one of those, like, Hulu watching cord cutters, and then you buy an antenna for your modern-day television, mm-hmm. and then, like, you find the channel where it's just, like, you know, people playing keyboards and speaking in Spanish all day, then that's that's what UHF is, more or less. Yeah, and the whole premise of the movie is that he competes with one of the network affiliates in the town that they're in, and he produces all of this original programming, and it's it's brilliant. <laughs> Everything from uh, Raul's Wild Kingdom to Wheel of Fish, um, which is just Wheel of Fortune, but people play for fish. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) Raul's Wild Kingdom, where he just throws animals out of his window to make them fly, and they, of course, never do. Uh, (laughs) There's also Conan, uh, anyway. Well, and it's got some it's got some big names in it. I mean, the aforementioned Victoria Jackson, but it's also got Kramer in it and uh, some other people. Like I've never seen it, but I know there's at least a few names attached to it. Kramer, the producer or the character? Uh, Michael oh, Richards. Michael Richards. Michael Richards. Yeah. Michael yeah. Richards. Brand yeah, <laughs> apparently everyone involved is a tremendous scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now currently, yeah. yeah. You've you've never seen uh, UHF. No, I've, I've never seen it. I've seen clips of it, and I've, oh. I've like read things about it. never seen it all the way through. Really? No, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, check it out. I think I will. My dad's so, got the VHS of UHF. That's exciting. I, that's probably the, uh, the best format for it, I'd imagine. Uh, Steve, is there, is there uh, anything else you want to say about UHF, or do you, anything you want to put over this week? Are you putting over UHF? Well... 
No, I won't put over UHF, but definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, but I would like to put over uh, Dusty Rhodes passed away today. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you a lot of fucking people die today. Christopher. What the? Yeah, jeez. Today, too. Uh, but I want to put over Dusty Rhodes' as a hard time speech. Uh, even if you're not a fan of wrestling, I recommend checking it out. Um, the Mountain Goats just recently went on tour, and that's what they went out on stage with. And it's this promo he cut like in the 1970s or early 80s and it's just him talking if you google dusty roads hard times it'll be no doubt the first video that pops up check it yeah. out no he's uh it, it's this has been a rough day man i do gotta say though uh I, i'm glad like literally a dozen people text me about dusty roads this morning so it was, a, <laughs> it was rough well, I felt like I was part of like a George Nori mass consciousness because last night I was seriously uh, thinking about Christopher Lee. I I had like some nonsensical like pre-sleep thought about Christopher Lee as Christopher Reeves, and, <laughs> and then I was like, "What? How the hell is Christopher Lee still alive?" And then the next day, well, I, he was old. He was like ninety-three. Dusty wasn't that old though. Dusty was only was he sixty-eight, sixty-nine? Well, Dusty was. Uh, yeah. He wasn't exactly in the peak physical condition of Christopher Lee. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, Dusty was – I mean, I, I guess he lost weight in recent years, but I know, like, his kidneys were failing, and he was having a tough time getting around, and, you know, he's got the the, the ground-up hamburger forehead, and it's just he wasn't looking so hot. But, yeah, what, I would say right alongside Ric Flair for uh, one of the best personalities of all time in wrestling. Well, for, uh, for a wrestler, he had a long and, and fruitful life. Yeah, absolutely. And he was a massive success in the, you know, the era of Vince McMahon's steroid WWF and he was like a fat tub of lard. So in, really pol- in polka dots no less. With the vivacious sapphire at its side. Hey. That's another thing too. If you buy me and Steve Coleman about a dozen beers each, then we'll just uh we'll just start cutting Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes promos for you. That's a promise. For the services we <laughs> offer. Oh, it just says it's true. <laughs> so, I, voice I've ever heard. so I haven't read anything about the death of Dusty. I assume we're talking the American Dream and not the the gold dust, right? So he's yeah, the guy yeah. who played. Um, okay. <clears throat> he was the guy in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Yeah, Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> Sauron. <laughs> They'll not pass. <laughs> Oh, that would have made that movie so much better. <laughs> you ain't going to pass me. I'm the son of a plumber. I'm the American dream. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a sad day, man. It's rough. It's rough. <laughs> yeah, I looked at AV Club this morning. There was about, like, six people. I mean, none of them were as prominent as either that we've mentioned, but there was like six R.I.P. threats. Wait, this isn't the same day that Michael Jackson and Farrah Fawcett died in 2009, is it? <laughs> it is. It could be a time warp. Pretty close. Close. That's going to be it. The collective consciousness, the time warp, it's all happening here. My on Coast to Coast with Optimism Vaccine. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's dive back into... Um, well, I'm going to... Oh, yeah, you got to leave us, right, Steve? As, thanks for having me. Yeah, stir the barley, uh, get the, the wet hops, the dry hops, all the hops. Yeah. It's surly <laughs> brewing. Oh, surly Steve Coleman, one more thing. Mm-hmm. I was at a barbecue this weekend, 
And there was a, a woman there, an older woman in like her 50s, and she was wearing a Surly Brewing Company sweatshirt, even though it was like 90 degrees. And I said, hey, nice sweatshirt. I've been to Surly. They got, they got good beer. And she goes, thanks. I've never been there before. And then she walked away. I was like, oh, where'd you oh. get that from? <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> well, it is a fashionable hooded sweatshirt, so. Yeah. yeah. All things considered. All right, Steve. Well, thanks for joining us. It sucks that you got to leave. Uh, we'll be sure to say plenty of terrible things about you the moment you, you take off. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> All right. See you later, Steve. All right. Thanks, guys. I'm booting you. Eject. Gone. All right. Now the real podcast can begin. <laughs> yeah, now you can talk about some mad stuff now that Coleman's gone. Yeah, those of us who Long blonde hair. Now that we've invested in microphones, uh, we can have <laughs> one of those hi-fi conversations. That's right, baby. Uh, I can hear you 4K Dolgy Digital Surround Sound. Did I just say Dolgy Digital? Dolgy. Dolgy. It's good. It's um, it's our own special special brand of high-definition audio. Anyways, uh, one of the movies that I wanted to talk about, which I think is maligned. culturally maligned. Uh, critics hated it when it came out. Myros and I saw it opening weekend in the theater. Uh, I think we were alone in the theater. The King's Speech. Lo- we both loved it, The King's Speech, if only. Uh, this is a movie that I think a lot of people should revisit, especially people who just went and saw Mad Max Fury Road and had their, their balls blown into their nostrils by its amazingness. Uh, and that movie is Doomsday from Neil Marshall circa 2007, I want to say, 2008 maybe. Okay, I thought you were going to say Black Swan. <laughs> Are you just naming off like Oscar bait movies from like critically <laughs> maligned? <laughs> no, I was trying to I was trying to name movies that are like that came out to really high praise and like two months later were completely forgotten. Two months later, they received a slate think piece about how they weren't actually that good. <laughs> Which, by the way, you know maybe maybe saying Black Swan wasn't that good is a hot take, but if you're if you're doing a hot take on the King's speech, fuck you. Obviously, it's the King's right, speech. Right. <laughs> Jesus. All right, so Doomsday, if you're not familiar, and chances are you're not, because I think it made about $10, despite an incredibly bloated budget. Uh, Doomsday is a movie that was made by Neil Marshall. Neil Marshall made The Descent, which was a very popular horror movie, which is excellent. And after he made The Descent, a studio was like, wow, you you made a really low-budget movie that made us a lot of money, so... You seem like you're a pretty talented genre film guy. You could be the next John Carpenter. Here's a bajillion dollars. Go make whatever the fuck you want, and then we'll just kind of green light it. So Neil Marshall took his bajillion dollars, and he made a movie that I'm guessing he made because he figured this is what he's always wanted to do, and he'll never get the chance to again. And it's more or less The Road Warrior mixed with Escape from New York. Uh, and it's about a, and there's also like a zombie outbreak, sort of a disease outbreak that's going on. So it's basically his Night of the Living Dead, his Road Warrior, and his Escape from New York all at once. Uh, and this woman has to find a vaccine for a disease that's ravaging Europe. So they, they drop her in, and she's, you know, your typical gun-toting badass, and she wears an eye patch like Snake Plissken, and she's got like a robot eye that she can roll around and shit. And uh, basically a lot of shit blows up, and then somehow they end up in medieval Europe, and then they come back. The end. 
<laughs> that stupid day. <laughs> Which, Myros, you actually, if, if I'm not mistaken, you like Doomsday more than Mad Max Fury Road. I did. I thought it was it was more surprising, even though it's incredibly derivative, which I'm I'm not going to take umbrage with because it's so goddamn fun. Yeah, it's I, a lot I, of fun. I love Doomsday, and I love Neil Marshall. I mean, I haven't seen a Neil Marshall movie that I don't love, and uh, well, he made that Swords and Sandals thing, which I mean is still quite good. He's just he is almost like a, a John Carpenter type, but apparently, if he if he got that note, he took it. Just a little too literally with the doomsday. Sure, They're sure. Like, hey, you could be the next John Carpenter. Oh, you, so you want me to make exactly the same movie as John Carpenter? <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. All of his films, like, you didn't mention Dog Soldiers, which was his, like, low budget horror, like, that's what got him on the map was Dog Soldiers, which sure, is sure. a fantastic werewolf film, and, uh, yeah, it's his whole filmography, and now he's he's primarily kind of working on Game of Thrones, which is yeah, well, uh, most of the about? better. What? What's that about? Oh, Game of Thrones. I don't know. It's about like elves trying it's, to rule uh, and stuff. Yeah. Game of Thrones is basically the last third of uh, Doomsday, more or less. Oh. Yeah, there, there's some <laughs> there's some elves, and they try and sit on a throne. And, and they, they they have sex with their siblings, and uh, it's all good. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun there. But, hey, who doesn't? You know, art's really imitating life there. Uh, so within Doomsday, I, I think it's important to talk about just, like, the, the major, like, breaking point in this movie where you're either going to love it or you're going to think it's the worst pile of shit ever. Um, and that's when... It goes from being basically just Escape from New York and the Road Warrior, and there's, like, this cannibal gang with tattoos and mohawks and, you know, a Lord Humongous type of character. And then all of a sudden they escape from the city, and they go out into the countryside, and they and they end up at this medieval castle where, uh, what's-his-face um, from... Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell, thank you. I'm sorry, I just brain farted there. Malcolm McDowell uh, has taken a bunch of people... And basically convince them that the only way that they can survive in the world is if they pretend like they're at the Renaissance Fair every day. So it, everyone just wears medieval clothes and rides around on horses, and they are living in this castle, uh, which the movie makes no effort to hide the fact that they just like rented out a castle that was a, a tourist destination for the day because you could see like the gift shop plaques in the background of most of the shots and uh yeah it's 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 very bizarre it's completely unexpected out of nowhere just turns into a, a medieval romp for some reason well i will say uh i'm currently sitting through uh sense 8 the wakowski show which We'll talk more in depth about it in a future episode, I'm guessing. But uh, it, really? it, I would guess. I think we've got something planned that uh, you may or may not be privy to. But uh, oh no, it has some of the very worst music cues you'll ever hear in your life. Uh, whereas Doomsday features maybe the best pop music cue. Oh well, it, it's top ten definitely. Uh, where a group of cannibal, cannibals sing a uh, fine young cannibal, or are, they come out uh, to a fine young cannibal song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, good, 
good thing, which uh, most people don't even, it's not even She Drives Me Crazy, which everyone oh, recognizes as a fine young cannibal song. It's kind of one of those things you have to like think about. And then, mm-hmm. then when it clicks, it's like, hell yes, this is fucking great. Exactly. If you like genre films and fine young cannibals deep cuts, this is the movie for you. There's my back of the box quote, Neil. You can use that one. <laughs> well, that that scene is good enough to justify the rest of the movie, even if you don't like the rest. Of the I'd say that's that's fair. Steve, uh, I feel like uh, Lord Humongous has really entered your vocabulary. I think this is the third podcast in a row. I, I love Lord Humongous. Like I, on my list of favorite movie villains, uh, Lord Humongous is he's probably top five, maybe top three. I fucking love Lord Humongous. <laughs> I mean, who else gets to walk around in, like, leather underpants and a Jason Voorhees mask and boss people around? That's just, I mean, that's my dream job. I mean, that's me, but, you know, I'm not in a movie. But, hey, that's (laughs) office life. Am I right, Sean? (laughs) I'm more of a uh, toe cutter man myself. But, uh, we'll move on. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. It's, uh, this is a good pick, Steve. I'm going to endorse your pick. And this is also the third podcast now that we've mentioned the Neil Marshall film Doomsday. Yeah. So. It's, I, I think it's the uh, the mascot for optimism vaccine. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Probably better than you think, even if you don't see it. Uh, <laughs> yep, no one saw it, just like us. <laughs> uh, so, Sean, Clifford was definitely your pick. Uh, Myros, what, I what have was your pick? I have, like, I you have, have another a, one? Okay, yeah, what's, what's yeah, your other one? Because I, I felt like that was uh, that was separate, and me and Steve both felt the same way about it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I'm sure I, it took me a while to think of like a good one. I don't know that I'm sure there's a better one out there that's like really maligned. Like I'm sure there's some Woody Allen movie, like anything. What is it? Uh, the one, uh, Curse of the Jade Scorpion, or or um, anything else? I'm sure there's something out there that 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 I like that's absolutely panned, but um, mm-hmm. I took a slightly different approach, and I, I was trying to decide between uh, Funny People or uh, Disturbia, but I uh, thought Disturbia was more of like an underrated movie. Uh, I think that's a better pick, because, I mean, Funny People, I, I, that's definitely my favorite Apatow movie, I'd say, okay. um, but it's like, it's definitely not his lowest rated movie, according to critics. It's probably at like 65% or something on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah, so people just 60. love it. Yeah. It was 60, and Disturbia was around the same, but the user rating was much higher on Disturbia than Funny People. Mm-hmm. So you should have run this bias, because I think you'd get more feedback on Funny People. Because I never bothered to see Disturbia, but I, like Steve, uh, Funny People is easily my favorite Apatow film. Okay, I, so I think it's pretty brilliant. Um, but like, I, I actually I remember um, seeing Funny People. I remember running into to you, Steve, um, uh, years ago, before we were close friends outside the theater, and uh, we, I think we were both going to the movies to get get out of the the terrible heat. Oh yeah, five dollar for a student ticket and uh, free popcorn. It was like nine thousand degrees out. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I went to see Funny People a few times, but um, yeah. So Disturbia, um, have you seen it, Steve? I saw it a long time ago, and I just remember it being like shitty teeny bop rear window. Is that a a fair uh-huh. assessment. I mean, obviously you wouldn't think it was shitty, but is it Teeny Bop Rear Window? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, it's by DJ Caruso, who um, hasn't done anything good unless you like Disturbia. Oh, um, I thought I thought it was by Lars von Trier, and then doesn't Chaibo? He takes out his penis, right? Yeah, yeah, and then Rihanna comes on and sings the titular song. 
Oh, uh, okay. It's a uh, stunt double penis, by the way. Oh, stunt penis? Oh, stunt penis. <laughs> Click. Um, I want to see LaBeouf in LaBeouf, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, no, but it's sort of like... Uh, it's kind of like a perfect date movie, um, and it has functioned that way for me in separate occasions. Um, but uh, dog. Uh, that rather seems odd, considering the premise is about peering through... Windows. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so uh, what makes it so is that it's it's like this PG thirteen like uh, thriller, but like it what it does that I really like a lot um, is that it balances comedy and and um, scary stuff. Like it buys into both um, pretty well. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, if you guys are aficionados, uh, purists of the genre. Um, perhaps you won't like it, and there's no hope for you. But um, that's why I—that's—that's that's why it's my pick for culturally maligned movies. Is that um, uh, I can't be talked down from it. Um, I just get a lot of joy watching it, and there's something about that period of uh, Le Bouf's, um work that uh, is really charismatic. Mm-hmm. I—I think that's fair, and I don't even know if Disturbia got like. Completely smashed on Rotten Tomatoes, no, it but it is, it is. It's one of those things. Like if you talk to some film film snob or something, and it comes up, then I, I think the oh that movie, you know, it, it's easy to kind of write off as especially just shit. yeah, especially since it is extremely derivative of Rear Window. But that's sort of the fun of it too. It's just like an mm-hmm. updated. It, it's it's just like a it's a it's a remake. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and it's tough because well, I mean, obviously I just made fun of it by calling it Teeny Bop Rear Window. Uh, because I, that's the only thing I remember about it is it just being kind of derivative and I didn't really have a strong opinion either way on it. But I, I mean, five minutes ago I was putting over Doomsday, which is like, uh, that's the most derivative movie ever in the history yeah. of oh, <laughs> It is. And it's glorious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I would just say, uh, you know, especially if you're looking, looking for a, a night in, um, mm-hmm. With your SO, put it on. Um, it's sort of the epitome of a fun popcorn movie. So Fair if enough. you're thinking about watching uh, Disturbia, would you say, Do it! Just do it! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Here's, here's the better question, though, Sean. Before we uh, we move on to Myros' pick, one final thing. Better date night movie, Disturbia or Peeping Tom? Ooh, um, I mean, they both, they both kind of send the message to your lover that you want to convey. Yeah, Peeping Tom um, is is a really good date movie if you um, if you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Derby is a really good date movie if you're with someone. Just one of those meeting nights in. Yeah, date with your hand. Man, uh, my, my go-to pick for date night is always Sallow. I, I find it <laughs> works well. 120 Days of Sodom. <laughs> what I do is. I I, uh, I buy some Baby Ruth bars. I stick them in the microwave for about 15 seconds. Oh gosh. Put on sallow. Wait for the <laughs> dinner scene, and then I bust out the tasty chocolate treats. And it, it always it always wins. I'm glad I'm glad that this is unrated podcast territory in <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, is no one. I don't think anyone understands what I'm talking. About. <laughs> Just go look on you. I, I don't even know if you could put the sallow dinner scene on YouTube, but you should look uh, it up, and then, then you'll understand my crass chocolate bar. Joke. It's it's out there on xvideos.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Well, you know what? If if um, if Jake is listening or uh, Jack Easton's listening, I think they'll they'll get my my chocolate bar joke. 
Sure. I'm getting two sure. chuckles out there. All right. Well, we're making a lot of inside jokes today. We've got yeah. the luck joke. Yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah yeah okay on to me so I mentioned Cable Guy uh we we've covered that path a little bit it's a great pick though great pick it, it's such a wonderful movie and and it sounded like Coleman was teasing Death to Smoochie which I did mention uh, Danny DeVito Productions in yeah. in conjunction with Clifford uh yeah that's another really great film so watch that too but but, but but Cable Guy quickly like that's a movie that like um. Maybe this has already happened to most people that would already care, but um, I, you know, I watched it when it came out as a youngin, and just like sort of echoed, or you know, I didn't know anything because I was like ten or something like that or nine, but I just remember all the adults being like, "Oh, this was terrible. What's Jim Carrey doing?" Um, and then it took somebody else to be like, "Oh, you got to watch that. It's it's amazing." Um, to go back and see it again. So if you haven't heard that before. And you still think it's like uh, garbage next to the majestic? Um, <laughs> yeah, the cable guy has. For me, it's like the rare thing where the lack of nostalgia almost benefits it. Like I, I didn't see it when it came out, and I saw it later, and I was like, "What? What the hell? People don't like this. This is goddamn brilliant." Yeah. Like, not only is it hilarious, it's just got such a prescient message. It, yeah. It's a, it's a really, really great film, and it, it established. Ben Stiller as a real talent as a filmmaker. Absolutely. And, yeah. Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, Cuff <laughs> Cuff had suggested that I talk about my uh, one of my outliers, which is Jonathan Glazer's Birth, mm-hmm. which uh, I always give you shit for. Like, I, I literally it. for like eight years, I've probably given you shit about Birth. So you yeah, no, no. It. Steve Cuff has given me shit about Birth, and I don't believe he's ever seen the film. So. Oh. No, I just, I just read, I just read. <laughs> I just read the premise, and then I just make fun of you for liking it based on the premise. Uh, well, don't make fun of any Jonathan Glazer movie because he's he doesn't make many, but uh, all of his films are are pretty brilliant. So yeah, wait, wait, what are the other ones? What were the ones after? Uh, all he's done since is Honor uh, the Skin, which was oh. my least favorite of his films, but still quite good. Oh, oh, and then he did before that he did uh, that Ben Kingsley movie. Yeah, Sexy Beast, which is. Fantastic. Yeah, Sexy Beast is awesome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the Birth is one of the best looking movies you'll ever see, even if you don't get a ton out of the plot, which you ought to, because it's a really, really interesting plot. It, it handles this reincarnation, which could be an absurdity, but it handles it uh, incredibly artfully. And uh, it, it, the cinematography is just jaw dropping. Yeah, Harris Savides. Well, can you, can you explain, can you just give me like a quick synopsis of the plot for anyone who hasn't seen Birth? Yeah, I, I mean, the, I think the reason that Birth got so critically panned was because it was for one of these nonsensical reasons, like movies especially, we're seeing that a lot recently with, for better or for worse, Jurassic World, the, you know, uh, Mad Max, they get this political agenda attached to them, and Birth had that in spades. It was like, Hey, don't watch this. Nicole Kidman's in a bathtub with a child, and it's sexualizing children, and that's just totally not the point. The, mm-hmm. the film is about reincarnation. It's uh, it's about this atheist man who does not believe in any of this stuff, and uh, he dies of a heart attack, and we cut to a child being born at the same time, and then we, we spin forward, what, I believe 10 years later, 
And there's this child who claims that he's the reincarnation of the dead husband. And, uh, yeah, he basically strikes up a relationship of sorts with Nicole Kidman's character. That kid and, is a great actor, too. Yeah, Cameron Bright, I believe his name is. And, oh, well, uh, that's, uh, that's big then, because normally you toss a kid into a serious dramatic role, and it just means I'm going to be really irritated with them. Mm-hmm. No, not in this movie at all. Like... Every the, all the performances in this are great. I mean, Nicole Kidman can be hit and miss, but in this she is killer. And who's uh, the who's the dude? Um, uh, he was on a real streak at that point, and I, I liked him a lot. Um, uh, Danny Houston. Yeah, Danny Houston. Yeah. I always thought he was incredible. He was. He's one of the few things I actually enjoyed about uh, American Horror Story as of uh, as of recent years. He's a he's a really good actor. Yeah. And he was the, the, on one of those Peter Sarsgaard um, trailblazing periods, but then Peter Sarsgaard did a bunch of garbage. Yeah, this is a really well acted movie. Glazer not only knows how to hire a cinematographer that's gonna blow your socks off, but he uh, he's also a really great actress director. Like like Sexy Beast, Ray Winstone, and Ben Kingsley. That Ben Kingsley, especially, that's one of the best performances. I mean, as far as, like, scenery chewing, that's... Yeah. It, it's wonderful. So entertaining. It's, yeah, I was going to say about Bertha, even before I was attuned to uh, pop culture journalism, or even before, like, maybe... I don't, I don't know when this phrase was getting thrown around a lot as much as it is now, but I feel like that was, like, the movie, movie that... Uh, uh, Pun intended, birthed uh, a thousand think pieces. Sure, sure, yeah. It was such an annoyance. I mean, <laughs> I, it was it was all negative. So much negativity around this movie, and it's just based on this bullshit societal construct of uh, hey, naked woman and kid, uh, don't ever see this movie because it's uh, perverts wonderland or something. And it, perverts it's, wonderland. It's just not what the movie is at all. It's so nuanced yeah. and it's. It's a beautiful film, and I saw it in the theater, and I was like, what the hell are these reviews? Like, this, this hmm. movie is fucking great. <laughs> well, it seems like there's there's more outrage over Birth, because Birth is like a serious movie, um, than other movies that deal with similar things, but maybe less artfully. So uh, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull something not artful at all out at you here. Uh, Twilight, uh, I, I guess one of the characters in Twilight wants to, like, bang... Uh, the the female protagonist's unborn child and like this this is like a thing in the book is like he thinks he's the werewolf boy and he thinks he's like attracted to uh, her except he's actually a- attracted to her sexy fetus in her uterus like that I mean that's uh-huh. way more fucked up and less tastefully done but I don't remember reading like a thousand think pieces on that and I mean birth isn't even really fucked up it's about like a woman's confusion and I mean it's implied that there is no reincarnation. Like the kid has stumbled upon a set of buried diaries, and mm-hmm. but it, it, it keeps it mysterious and intriguing. And but the, but it's not like Nicole Kidman sucking a ten-year-old's dick or something. It's <laughs> nothing all that controversial in the film. It, so it, just, it doesn't go all eyes wide shut at any point. It, it does not go eyes wide shut. <laughs> That's good. That's good. 
All right. Well, you know what? For you, Myros, maybe I will finally sit down and watch Birth, even though I'm I'm a little bit hesitant just because I, I want for the rest of my life and yours to just mock you every every once in a while, like every six months, get a birth jab in. I, I feel like I've been telling you to watch it for about ten years. A good time. All right. <laughs> and uh, it's... It, it, you will not regret it, man. You're going to be stunned by how good this movie no, is. No, I, I, I'm completely aware of that. I've just... I, haven't seen it. I haven't seen it since it came out on DVD, but um, I remember that, like, the opening shot, it might be, like, somebody running under, like, a um, a bridge or something in something that yeah. looks like Central Park. It, it will hook you immediately because it's absolutely gorgeous. No, it's one of my... It is probably... And this is high praise considering it's off the cuff here, but uh, oh hey, new podcast. Hey. Hey. <laughs> uh, but it may be my favorite opening to any movie ever. Like uh, the way it's filmed is so beautiful, and the music it, is wonderful, and it, it's such a fantastic intro. I need to watch it again. All right, fair enough. Well, hey guys, we're uh, we're running a little bit short on time, so uh, real quick, Maros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I've got to do a one of those mea culpas uh, that I'm so fond of. No, uh, I was bashing this show called Fortitude last week in mm-hmm. in praising another program, uh, Lars von Trier's Kingdom. But uh, I got a little farther along with the Fortitude, and it morphed into something completely different from what it, it felt like early. It stopped trying to be the killing and became this weird, like, epidemic thing with a central mystery hook and I gotta tell you around about episode 5 or 6 it became absolutely brilliant and uh, I I loved where it went and I I would say check it the hell out Fortitude with okay. Stanley Tucci what uh, program? Fortitude Oh, it, no, I believe it was on some obscure American network. It, it's a Sky production. It was on, like, Ion Ooh. Network in America. So uh, you might want to find that one on uh, Pirate Bay. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I'm putting over. It's, uh, Ion. Ion is the, the channel that hosts uh, one of Megan Connor, Optimism Vaccine columnist's uh, favorite show, which is some, like, Degrassi-influenced, like, Canadian police drama. <laughs> oh, yeah, Royal Blue? Yeah, I, maybe that was it. I don't know. Sean, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I had a, I'm had still having a tough choice because there's a few. I don't want to steal yours, Steve. I, um, I don't think you will. Um, <laughs> He's putting so, over a medium article. <laughs> <laughs> no, Fuck I was you. Gonna, I put over a medium article in like a month. <laughs> uh, I was going to say Surf by Donnie Trumpet, but um, I think I'm going to go uh, this podcast. Uh, um, I know it sounds counterintuitive to... The Optimism uh, Vaccine? Uh, to the Optimism Vaccine, but um, there's a really great uh, podcast. that I, I'm sure it's really popular for people who like podcasts, but uh, it's called The Flop House, and it's a, a movie podcast. But more than that, it's a comedy podcast. And um, basically, it's these three dudes. Sometimes this, this woman fills in, and they're all writers on The Daily Show. And uh, basically, they... Um, like every week or every other week, they talk about a movie that has flopped recently. Um, so recently they did uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, which was a great episode. Um, mm-hmm. and they did like God's Not Dead and and No Good Deed. Um, but every episode is is really really funny and it's conversational. Um, and and their insight into to movies is is um uh, appreciated. Um, 
But uh, the only thing I would say is that you only have to listen to like the first 40 or so minutes. As soon as it switches over to, to letters uh, from listeners or something like that, I sort of tune out. Oh. Um, but yeah, that, that's a really, really good listen. Enjoyable stuff. Flop house. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Donnie Trumpet and the Social Experiment and uh, their new album Surf, which is Chance the Rapper and uh, that really great jazz musician whose name I can't think of. Uh, but yeah, that's that's great. That was on my short list of things to put over. Also, this doesn't really count as a put over because it's like fucking dub. But the new season of Hannibal is amazing so far. If you have any interest at all in like 1970s Italian horror slasher films, it, right up your alley. Uh, the one thing I really do want to put over though uh, that you might not be aware of is well, it's the the Steam Summer Sale, which means. Uh, you know, video games are very cheap right now. There's a game on sale for two bucks. It's called Dominique Pamplemousse. Two dollars. It's a really cool, like, uh, kind of like point and click adventure type of game. It's really short. You can blaze through it in an afternoon. And it's got this really cool aesthetic where it's, it almost looks like rough claymation and it's sort of black and white and it's really neat. So Dominique Pamplemousse, go buy it. It's two dollars. And even if you have a shitty computer, you can probably run it. Even Adam Myros could run it on his computer. Yeah, my e-machine. That's right, e-machines, baby. All right, well, that's going to do it for the Cast this week. Uh, make sure, go on iTunes, rate us, write a review. It helps with uh, kind of our visibility and stuff. If you have any questions, you can email us. Uh, and make sure you go to optimismvaccine.com and shepherdexpress.com to read all of our fabulous articles and uh, all that good stuff. So, yeah, we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.